You're listening to Scalay Sisters, episode number 40. Welcome to Scalay Sisters, the podcast for the classical homeschooling mama who seeks to learn and grow while she's helping her children learn and grow. Scalay Sisters is a casual conversation about topics that matter to those of us in the trenches of classical homeschooling who yearn for something more than just checking boxes and getting it all done. I'm your host, Brandi Benzel. You can find me at Afterthoughts, that's my main blog, and also Teaching Reading with Bob Books, which is where I keep my line of printable phonics lessons. You can hear more from me on my other podcast, Aftercast. My co-hosts today are Pam Barnhill, Misty Winkler, and Cindy Rollins. Pam is a speaker, podcaster, blogger at pambarnhill.com, and author of the newly released book, Better Together, Strengthen Your Family, Simplify Your Homeschool, and Savor the Subjects That Matter Most. Misty is a second-generation homeschooler with five kids and too many projects. She writes about practical classical homeschooling and organizing attitudes at Simply Convivial. Cindy is host of the Mason Jar podcast from the Searcy Institute, author of the fantastic book Mere Motherhood, and probably most famous for raising eight boys. And and one girl, but eight boys, people. To adulthood and surviving to tell about it. Cindy is, as you probably know by now, speaking at our Scalay Sisters online local retreat this fall. It's called Learning Well, and you can find out all about it at scalaysisters.com slash learn. Today's episode is the second half of a double episode we recorded with the mason jar. This is part two. Please listen to part one first by heading over to the mason jar podcast and finding it there. Then come back here and listen to part two. And so without further ado, let's get to it. When I first started going to Circe, I got kind of rebuked for being the practical person. I remember one time somebody said something to me and I said something to Andrew Kern about it. And he goes, well, that's why you should never be practical. So, (laughs) um, and yet I felt for some people, I'm very philosophical. But when I went over there, it was like, I was definitely the, um, well, how do we work this out in our everyday life kind of person? (laughs) That's why you appeal to me. (laughs) David Hicks says it's not just knowing, it's doing, and doing That's is practical. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I know sometimes people will listen to different speakers, and they'll just say, oh, it's so beautiful, but but what does it mean? <laughs> but it does, I do think we need those inspirational, we need to be inspired to go out and do something. So moms, you know, it, I don't think it's inspiring to just say, well, you should read for goodness sakes but somehow they have to see that the journey is worthwhile and it's something that should be done not just because you should do it but because you'll benefit and you'll be glad you did it Hmm. yeah I think we need a balance of the two I mean really and I think that's what a lot of moms are looking for is is a balance of the philosophical and the practical they like to sip a little from both cups Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think moms need to know that just because today was completely practical and nothing good happened except, you know, I you cleaned up <laughs> the mess the kids made and everybody was sick. And there are going to be lots and lots of days like that. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not what happens on any one day that changes um, the direction you're going. I mean, it's important, but many days as a mother do not feel very productive. That doesn't take away from the fact that when you do have a moment, if you do seize it, it'll go into the bucket with the other moments and they will add up to something eventually. Yeah. One of the things that's surprised me over the years is, well, even just recently, you know, I'm taking a walk with my friend and we do homeschool stuff together. And, you know, we're having a conversation, taking a walk while the kids are playing. And 
she stops and points and says, look, there's a hawk. Mm, or look, yeah. there's the pelicans. And yesterday we were having a park day and a bunch of homeschool moms sitting around having all kinds of, you know, practical conversations. And someone points up, look, that hawk has a snake. And oh, we're wow. all, watch- all the mm-hmm. moms, some of the kids, but all of the moms are watching the hawk fly off with the snake. And I was like, this is something I never would have expected. And it's so cool. And it's it's cool that I think it's cool because when I was 20 something, I would not have thought that was cool. Yeah, and, and, and why not? Why, why, why wouldn't you have? Uh, because I wasn't interested. Yeah, yeah. And I have become interested over the, the years of just little bit by little bit, sometimes even despite myself. Hmm. Yeah, yesterday when my grandkids were here, the, our little neighbor kids were here and they're homeschooled and I invited them over so they could play with my grandkids. And there was a dead possum out on our property with it was a skeleton with bugs all over it. They must have gone down there about five or six times to go see the skeleton. <laughs> and I just, thought, <laughs> I just thought, I love this, that they're, they're so fascinated with the... Um, with this dead animal (laughs) and and that they wanted to look at it and that they were interested and they, they were paying attention. Mm -hmm. So is it always reading then is mom learning alongside or in addition to what she's teaching? Does it always have to be about reading hard books? I think if we go to that one article that I was talking about the influence and teaching of the educated mother, when it talks about drawing forth all the different powers of human beings, then if we just do reading, we're not really developing all the different powers. We're developing certain powers, right? Mm -hmm. As much as I would like it to not be more than that. (laughs) I think it actually, it actually is. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) It's just reading. No, I want to be clear here though, because earlier Brandy was being mean and poo-pooing some things as not being mother culture, but now it almost seems like you're contradicting yourself. So let's be clear for everybody. That that was that was not what I was expecting Brandy to say. Okay, so here's my yeah. I like that mother culture, at least in the parents' review, is a very specific and narrowly defined thing. Because I do think that if all we do is develop other powers, then we're neglecting the soul and the intellect. And those are important things. But even at the bottom of the AO page where they have the mother culture article, it's like see related article, simple things, a daily rest. And it's like on taking a nap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, yes. and So it's like, we want to develop the whole person. For me, the problem has been at least, okay. So what I see is a potential problem. Maybe it's not a problem, but I think it's a potential problem. And I think mother culture is mainly used by the Charlotte Mason community. So I'll just say it this way. By defining it broadly and then saying, I need to do mother culture every day, you could actually be not reading for a long period of time, but tell yourself you're doing mother culture. That's my concern. My concern is the semantics and how we're using the words. It's not me saying reading's the one and only way or something. Does this does this make sense? Are you following me? <laughs> Am I making sense? I, I think so. You're saying you could do a bunch of other things and they would all fall under the banner of mother culture. But if you weren't reading, you were kind of missing the point too. Right. Pam, on your website, Dawn has all that series on why mom needs a hobby. And then you got all those guest posters and all that. I think all of that stuff is completely true. I just try for... I think there's, how do I put this? I think there is great benefit to keeping the parents review definition of mother culture and saying moms need to read for about 30 minutes a day in order to continue developing their intellect. Hmm. Just like I can say that and I'm not saying mom shouldn't learn to cook dinner. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's just 30 minutes a day. And honestly, the 30 minute rule, I think is really helpful too, for people like me who want to read too much and neglect other duties. It cuts both ways, right? There's the person who doesn't want to read enough. And there's the person who wants to read too much. And we're both disordered in our affections. But anyway, I just think if we start including other things as mother culture, which I think maybe some of that just comes from people who used to write about Charlotte Mason and use the term, there's that whole generation of books that are like, 
Catherine Levison and Karen Andrew. Like I've never read any of those books. <laughs> so it's possible I'm just contradicting a really well-known person who yeah, <laughs> is smarter right, than me. Right. But anyway, <laughs> but I'm just saying for me, this article, I think is super helpful. It's saying you need to read, you need to read for your children, you need to read for your personal development, you need to read so you don't lose skills that you have now. And then I would add, you need to read so you develop skills if you don't have them. That's just 30 minutes out of your whole life. You should still have a whole life. Right. So reading first. So the first step to developing yourself as a person is reading. And then after that, you can branch into skills and hobbies, rest, and all the things that make us better people. Yeah. But the first line of defense against ignorance is reading. And I think that is true. I would agree with that. I don't think it's the end all. Mm -mm. In a way, I feel like it's unfair because I enjoy reading and always have. So it's easy for me. It's kind of like if that is my hobby. (laughs) (laughs) And even when I have other hobbies, a lot of times they're just playing with words in a different way. But at the same time, I definitely think that that has to be first. I always think about my sons who, when they wanted to play baseball, they went out and they found out they were terrible at it. Well, the next time we went to the library, they brought all these books home about baseball. And one of the books was The um, the Science of Hitting by Ted Williams. Hmm. And they read that over and over and over again. Several, a couple of my sons at least memorized it. And one hmm. of my sons who read that book the most became, at the end of college, the Georgia Player of the Year for his batting average. Wow. Those words actually became life for him. Hmm. Yeah, the reading doesn't and shouldn't stay reading. That's I think, you know, even the the noticing the trees and the birds when we're taking walks is a even a direct fruit from the reading Hmm. because it's probably not something you could have just told me to go do without that background. And even the desire came from the reading. Exactly. I tell the story about how when we were at the Circe conference, I was at the Summer Institute and we were studying the Odyssey and there was a bird that flitted in and out of the picnic area where we were reading and none of us knew what that bird was and half of us didn't even look up to see the bird. Mm -hmm. Later on, we went inside and we were continuing to read the Odyssey and it said that Athena made herself like a swallow And went up among the rafters to listen in on the conversation that they were having in the Odyssey. And that was the very thing that happened to us. I mean, I don't think it was Athena. I think it was just a bird. But (laughs) (laughs) the Greeks had that very thing happen in their lives that we have happen in our lives. It's not just knowing a foreign language like Greek. You don't just need to know Greek to read the Iliad and the Odyssey, which I don't know, and I've had to read it in translation. There are other things that we need to know Mm. in order to read those books. We need to know what the world around us looks like, and it's kind of a symbiotic relationship. I don't know about swallows, and then I read that, and I see maybe swallows are important, and then I pay attention when I'm outside to the birds and to the things around me. And that's just reading something old like the Odyssey, whereas, you know, there are many books that we can read that have wonderful stories, George MacDonald or, mm-hmm. or any number of authors who, who hopefully we take that and we say, I want to know what the, I mean, who can read Tolkien and not say, I want to know what the trees are. Look how bad it is not to know what each of these trees are. That To Tolkien, that was, uh, a, a terrible sin. Um, he clearly made that a, something evil to not know, hmm. or Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, to not know the names of the things outside. Hmm. So for the mom who either has lost it or never had it, and so Misty was saying this earlier, and when she said it, I kind of latched onto it and thought, oh, I never thought about this. This is really cool. But she talks about learning alongside the six-year-old. Obviously, there are a lot of us who have our multiplication, our our addition facts or something like that. But even if you're looking at like the Ambleside Year Zero list or the Ambleside Year One list, there's some lovely stuff on that list. It's not difficult, but it's still really lovely stuff. And so 
how much of your day as a mom, so we're saying 30 minutes a day, can you get all of that reading with your six-year-old? And then how much do you really need to step out and Mm. dig into something a little more? Mm, Good question. That is a good question. I don't know. What do you think? I think if you start, you're better off than if you didn't start. (laughs) If you start with reading those year one or whatever with your six-year-old and you're reading them out loud and you're enjoying them together, you're not just doing it to get it done, but you are also paying attention and enjoying it, then that's a beautiful and an adequate starting point. And don't be surprised if in a year or two, you're going to be a lot farther along than you thought you would be just doing that. I agree. I think it starts there. And I think that's one reason I read aloud so much in my family. Mm. I didn't want to miss anything. And so I, I incorporated more and more reading aloud into our day. And honestly, that was selfish. I did it for me. I wanted to be a part of that. It wasn't a a drudge for me to read those books because I couldn't wait to read them. And the more I read, the more I wanted to read. And if that was the only time I had, then so be it. Ended up being more than 30 minutes a day. And sometimes I wasn't reading anything else, but that's why I was doing that. So not only do audiobooks Mm. count, but reading aloud counts. (laughs) There you go. What about pre-reading? Does pre-reading count? Oh, definitely. I count it. Yeah. I remember going through a period of time where I was like, I haven't read any books. And what I meant was I hadn't read any books that I chose myself just for me. Mm -hmm. That I was just in this stage where every book I had read was either read aloud or it was pre-reading for my oldest child. And I made myself sit down and write down a list of all the books that I could remember that I just had physically read because I read it aloud or because I pre-read it or whatever. And realizing I'm being ridiculous if my definition of reading is that I had to choose it, that I did it by myself, that I did it quietly in my mind. Since when is all of that a criteria? (laughs) I just, I had really narrowed my definition to the point where I felt cheated out of my reading time. And when I realized, okay, reading aloud can count, (laughs) pre-reading can count. In fact, Mm -hmm. I turned, as you guys know, pre-reading into something that was for me and not just for my children. But realizing I read a ton of books every year is just that most Mm -hmm. of them are not just for me. The vast majority of them are not just for me, but I'm still reading. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say right now that that's probably the most important thing that's been said this entire podcast. That right there, because you got a lot of moms out there. Okay, type A moms like me, but that right there just opened up like the whole world to them. Mm -hmm. Those moms that put a lot of pressure on themselves and they're perfectionists yeah. and you know it's got to fit in this little narrowly defined box or it's not yeah you know you know what changed my mind on that actually was it started with bible reading that i had narrowly defined bible reading and so my personal bible reading didn't happen if i wasn't mm-hmm. uninterrupted and by myself and in quiet and all like i had all this criteria at the right time. <laughs> exactly. So I just had a grudge all the time against all these poor little children who couldn't help it that they were little children. And somebody told me, or maybe I read it. I can't even remember, but I just remember encountering It was probably on Cindy's blog. <laughs> it probably was. It's probably all your, I can thank you, Cindy, probably. But I mean, I just remember encountering this woman who said that like if a toddler stumbled into her room when she was trying to read her Bible, she just started reading it out loud to him. I remember thinking, mm, you mean yeah. it still counts? And right. I'm like, mm-hmm. and I realized like, what, yeah. what world have I just created in my head where nothing counts unless it's exactly the way I want it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Pam. We put a lot of pressure on things meeting the ideal instead of learning to build a livable life within the reality that we're in. You know, now I do get to read uninterrupted, but that's because my youngest is almost 10. It's just a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is seeing the end game here, that our children do grow up. And that is one thing I'm so excited about this whole topic of self-education, because now more than ever before, I realize that all of this did add up to an education Hmm. for me. And I didn't know that before. So I'm just like, oh, even though I'm really old, I'm still doing the things that I did with my kids. Uh, because they were part of a habit, of, you know, an atmosphere, of discipline in a life. I just do them for myself. Hmm. 
You know, I was at a conference one time and I met this woman and she lived in a retirement home, but she was at a Charlotte Mason conference. And anyway, I have this distinct memory of her and I hope she did it. But I remember her saying that she was going to try to start something like a circle time with the people where she was living. Mm. Mm. And I was like, that is the most awesome thing I've ever heard of. Like it never dawned on me that you could be in your seventies and living in a retirement home and you could offer circle time to the people around you and try to see if they would show up. I was completely floored because I, again, had that narrow definition of, well, this is this activity is when I'm with my children. I mean, you know, I had all these other things that I had used to define it. Then your family's getting in the way of, like you said, then then you have to resent your family because they're in the way. And that is not what we're talking about here today. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like self-education for mothers is completely wrapped up in what they're doing for their children almost. Uh, I had the girl, um, Periwinkle, Katie, what's her last name, on my podcast. Oh, Hudgens. Hudgens, yeah. And she, you know, she was reading The Fairy Queen to herself and her three-year-old came in and she started reading it out loud. And it's one of my favorite podcasts because that was how she was educated. That's how her child was educated. The three-year-old and the whatever age she is, the 28-year-old or 33-year-old, I don't know how old she is. She's very young, but she and her child were both learning from the same book. And, And I think that happens I think we can make that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Pam's envisioning like morning times in nursing homes across the country. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think this just is such a testimony for morning time. And and I'm mm-hmm. not just saying that, you know, <laughs> but really there's no, there's no, <laughs> there's nothing about myself in there at all. But it, it when I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about, planning the morning time as we're going into the school year and also thinking about this idea of my own learning. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just need to put a couple things in morning time that are for me. Mm-hmm. And I say that to moms. Yeah. You know, I always tell moms, put something in there that you enjoy so it doesn't feel like you're just checking off the boxes and getting things done. But I don't think there's anything wrong with efficiency in this situation. <laughs> I don't know that I ever put anything in morning time that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> True confessions. <laughs> you know, Pam, I just wanted to go back really quick too to you talking about re- learning with our kids. I think there's value, even if we're not learning with our kids, being willing to read the kid version first if we need it. So for example, mm-hmm. my husband my husband recently decided that he wanted to learn some British history. He's never read any of it. And um he read our island story. He didn't read, you know, I've got Churchill and I've got Dickens and I've got I mean I've got a million British history books, but he read the one that starts in AO year 1. And I think he was way better served than by trying to tackle something like Churchill first. Hmm. He he may want That's to tackle awesome. Churchill eventually. And he got a lot out of it. I mean, he's like talking to me about the Henrys and all this and that. And <laughs> but the really, really, really well-written histories for children or whatever for children, they can totally feed a mother's mind. Oh, I agree. I, I think all those spine books were incredibly interesting. I love the English literature for boys and girls. I love that book. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a good one. And Our Island Story. And I enjoyed Our Island Story more than I enjoyed this country of ours for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but. I did too. I personally just think that Britain's more interesting than America. <laughs> it's older. You it know, is. there's just a it lot. Is. Yeah. There's just a lot more to draw from. It's, it's a lot older. That probably Pam is why, because when I in, enter reading British history around the time that America has started, I'm bored with British history too. It's the era. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of us, I mean, Charlotte Mason talks about how children are drawn to those early mythical eras with mm. the less complex society. And I'm like, I don't think it's just children. I think a lot of us are that way. Or maybe I just haven't grown up enough to appreciate more complex <laughs> societies. 
But I just feel like I really do enjoy that mythical stage, you know, where they're still calling Britain Albion and everybody's like uh-huh. dressed in animal skins. I don't know. <laughs> You're talking about the enlightenment there and and they get, you know, everything gets so real and then they just kind of suck all the fun out of everything. That's true. Fun yeah. suckers. That's true. Yeah. So moms do not be fun suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't and be don't overly enlightenment. <laughs> yes, no, do not. <laughs> That's so true. So other than reading, all the other stuff is important too. I don't know, Misty, I see that you put here like doing and hobbies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know how to knit and I'm pretty sure it makes me less of a person. <laughs> it, it does. <laughs> That's what I thought. See, thanks for confirming my suspicions. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about things like the fact that I don't hate math as much as I used to. And a big Uh, part of that is actually mm -hmm. having done second and third grade math. I don't know how many times, you know? Yeah. And doing nature study with the kids, which going into it, I thought, okay, I know I'm supposed to like this too, but I don't. So whatever, we'll still just do it. And, you know, a few years later, I enjoy it. And I'm noticing birds and I'm noticing trees. You had a grudge against nature study. Oh, yeah. For... A long, a long time, because like since I've known you, yeah, you know, oh, you always like <laughs> this is a deep seated problem. I still don't have a nature. <laughs> I have I have a nature journal with one entry that I made. Well, I didn't start my nature journal till my kids were grown. Um, oh, good. I, I still have a few years. Oh, wow. I didn't get the memo that I was supposed to be doing it, but of course we did it. You know, I invented my own way of doing it by doing it while we read aloud. Um, I read aloud mm-hmm. and they did their nature journals every day. They did it from the field guides or artists who had done nature drawings like Audubonners. Mm-hmm. And they just imitated what they saw. And I just felt like they were outside a lot. So, and they would bring stuff in and they could draw stuff they brought in, but they didn't go outside, find something, come in and draw it in that order. But we did a lot of nature notebooking. I just want to point out that Cindy also lives in Alabama. So you know. well, I don't anymore. I did live in Alabama. Yeah, but you did then, you <laughs> yes, know. I and did so then. that's true. I did live in Alabama then and I love Alabama. I just I, I love Alabama. But it's not horribly conducive to, you know, that four hours a day outside. Oh no. You don't go outside, not this time of year. You stay in I I don't understand why in the South we don't have our summer as April, May and June and then go to school July, August, you know, September, because actually I do. Stay. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh-huh. um, nice. I could never do that very well. Just the whole of the world was going in one direction. I, no matter how hard I tried to put yeah. my heels on it, it, I never was able to stop. Oh, that's because your I boys play way. baseball. So it's, well, that's it true. is. That yeah. is true. Yeah. Well, Pam, someone agreed with you that you don't have to go outside this time of year in Alabama. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. There, there are a lot of people who agree with me. I mean, just not all of them are Cindy Rollins, but yeah. Well, I did go outside yesterday. I took my raft to the neighborhood pool <laughs> with, with my grandkids so that I didn't actually sit quietly in the raft. But that was an outside event. And I got stung by a wasp. Um, about five minutes after telling the story of how I had only gotten stung by the wasp once in my life. <laughs> a <couple of> ago. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Uh, that's so don't funny. go outside. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Look out the window. It's a cautionary tale. <laughs> yes. So what about then let's bring out the, the elephant in the room podcast. I know you're all like, what, what elephant? Yeah. What about podcast? What about, you know, we, we say audiobooks are okay, and I'm thinking, like, for something like knitting, audiobooks are great. Mm-hmm. You can kind of double up a little bit, although I do think there is some benefit, and I, I would not let all my reading be only audiobooks. I mean, I love that I can listen. I listen to a lot of audiobooks because I have a long drive to work, and I have to drive to my parents frequently, but what about podcasts? I've noticed this generation, the youngest generation of moms that we're dealing with have not grown up reading. So reading is very difficult for them, but they do love to listen to podcasts, which is why we're all here. How does that measure up? I don't want that responsibility as a podcaster. (laughs) (laughs) 
you better up your game and stop coming. Yeah, really. We have a great season coming up, but you know, it's still, I mean, we're talking about mythology. We're talking about prayer. We've got some really good stuff, but I don't know. That's a, that's a really heavy responsibility for a podcaster to be somebody's source of, Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not adequate. Well, I think the podcasting fills in that gap of community a little bit and only Mm -hmm. a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. not at all a replacement, but so many people don't have someone to talk to about ideas and to just hear people be interested and engaged and to, to listen in on a conversation is a little bit of a substitute when you can't have them yourself. Yeah, because there are still ideas in a podcast that that people can think about afterwards, hopefully. Yeah. Well, okay. So I just said I don't feel adequate, but I don't have to be adequate. My guests are the ones, you know, I'm not providing anything of value as I've clearly shown from this particular <laughs> recording. But <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't think so. But that my, was everyone's favorite. My guests yes, do bring a lot of value to the pot. And I learned, I mean, that's, I don't listen to my podcast. And honestly, this is really bad. I would probably never listen to my podcast if I weren't the one recording them. <laughs> but I love recording them. And I love having those conversations and getting to ask all those meaty questions and steer the conversation where I want it to be and really kind of dig deep. And to me, I learned so much from doing a podcast interview. So I would like to think, would like to hope that the people who are listening are learning a lot too, you know, and it's always my goal to try to ask the questions that they would want to have answered. I really hope that they're getting a lot of value from, you know, especially the Your Morning Basket podcast. Yeah, I think, I podcasts, think they are. podcasts aren't standing alongside reading a book, not in the way an audiobook is like reading a book. Mm-hmm. A, a podcast is standing in there like having a discussion, like having a conversation, which is a part of learning. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that symbiotic relationship between I'm, I'm getting ideas, they're making me want to do something, now I'm going to go read the book. Yeah. And to feel like you're not alone. You're not the only person out in the world thinking about these yeah. things. Yeah. That is so true. Now that brings up an interesting academic question. Can you have real learning? I don't think we would say that you could have real learning without reading, but can you have real learning without conversation? So if all you ever do is read and you never talk to anyone about it, is the learning as good? Hmm. I go back and forth on that. Basically, I think we agree conversation is is an integral part of learning. I think the question is, can you kind of have a conversation on your own? I want to be careful because I don't think that's a substitute for actual conversation. (laughs) But at the same time, I know that in The Intellectual Life by Sir Sir Delange, didn't we agree, Misty, that you just kind of trail off at the end and then you said the name correctly? Sir Delange. So I'll just clear my throat at the end of his name. Um, But he brings forth the idea that Learning on your own can be a hard-fought battle and that you are having a conversation with the author. I agree with that. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You're so smart. So it would be different from sitting by yourself and thinking, which I know Misty has brought up before in the past. If you just sit and observe people without any outside correction, that can be really dangerous. I think this was your reincarnation friend, Misty. (laughs) (laughs) So she came up with watched people. <laughs> yep. Said, oh, people, some people have done this before. Clearly, reincarnation is real. I'm like, huh. What? <laughs> well, then. <laughs> there we have it. Misty uh, just said, clearly, <laughs> reincarnation is real. <laughs> I was quoting someone. <laughs> but I don't know. I think back to, for example, we talk within classical education about something we call dialectic. And dialectic, the foundation of dialectic is dialogue. You can't really do dialectic by yourself. And yet, Boethius did in Consolation of Philosophy because he just wrote a discussion of himself and basically his imaginary friend, right? So, I mean, so 
I think it's just my thought. Isn't that what we're all doing with blogging? Isn't that what Plato did with Socrates? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but my, I wonder though if because those are all well trained thinkers. If a lot of us don't actually do that, because I think people who like that, who formally practice dialectic with their imaginary friend, they were actually making the effort to predict objections to their thoughts and try to counter those. Like we see Aquinas doing that, right? In Summa, in Summa, he's like, you may think such and such and such, but this is why I, you know, th- this is why it's wrong. Nobody said they thought that, th- th- I mean, he's just responding to it. Right. He's pr- getting ahead of it. Right. But like he's disciplined his mind to think through possible objections versus us just thinking on our own, or maybe it's just me. But I, I feel like lots of times if I'm being a sloppy thinker, I'm just thinking what I'm thinking. I'm not really countering any possible objections. And so it's not really a well-developed thought. I always like blogging because of that, because I would just think something, throw it out there, and I knew what was going to happen. The wolves will get you. People were going to come and tell me how stupid I was, and I was going to, but it was fun for me because I knew there were things I, I wasn't able, I knew I was missing a piece of the pie, but I wouldn't always know what it was. And then someone else would come along and I'd be like, oh yeah, now, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, um, you know, I, I didn't just dig in at that point. I tried not to ever just dig in and just say, no, I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it was a conversation that, uh, I mean, it was it's tricky with blogging because there are people out there that will just, and I did find when I was blogging that if I said something negative, I got way more hits, if you want to call it, than if I said something positive. But people really flock to the negative ideas. I I don't know what that is. I mean, I'm not even saying it's completely wrong. Attraction to controversy, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I guess there was something to think about. There's more to think about there. Well, and I just finished reading Know and Tell. Mm. And so putting your thoughts into words, whether that's oral or written, Having only read it, you don't necessarily know it yet. It kind of feels like you do. And I've found this with blogging. You think that you know what you're thinking until you try to write it out. And then you realize that it doesn't make any sense, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And this brings up a really good point. Even beyond conversation with no intel and narration, writing I learned more over those years that I was blogging for this that very reason. It, it really made me learn how to refine what I was saying mm-hmm. um, because I would put it out there and I'd write something I just thought was beautiful and nobody would respond, you know, and I'd be like, what? People didn't, you know, I had to learn what what was actually being communicated compared to what I thought was being communicated. And writing is very much an art of self-education and it is a great way just to sit down and write, take a few minutes and write out your thoughts. That's a, a great way to continue to add to what you've been doing with reading. You know, that makes me really sad though, because the days of those old blogs like that are pretty much gone. You know, we yeah, have, we are. have a few holdouts, you know, Misty and Brandy definitely you know, we've we've turned to either the podcast, which, you know, we've established earlier does have a certain value, but not the value that blogging had. You're not the same values or value that blogging had. But social media, just those short little snippets and this typically devolve into not good communication mm-hmm. between parties. It's really kind of sad. And this has all happened in the past five years. Yeah, the, the world changes so quickly it now. Does. It's hard to get in the groove with anything. Mm-hmm. So you can do that on Facebook. I review books on Goodreads now when I'm done reading them, and that does offer me a tiny, even if no one's reading the reviews, it gives me a chance to think through. Sometimes I do it very haphazardly, but sometimes it gives me a chance to, at the end of a book, just process what I thought about it. And I found that to be very helpful. It's not a blog. It's not even near as long as a blog post, but it does help me process. Hmm. Yeah. And that's where, you know, a commonplace or a reading journal or a local book club. Mm -hmm. These are great parts of learning. It's not just me and a book and that's it. Like there is this kind of process. And even if it's listening to your, your child's narration, 
and then maybe giving your own, you know, alongside. Yeah, narrating is hard. It's a hard skill. It sure is. I wonder if our time would be better spent reading fewer books and spending a little more time doing something like narration. Because if the goal is to come to know, Mm -hmm. if mothers are persons too, then Charlotte Mason's 20 principles apply. And Charlotte Mason says, you know, knowledge isn't really knowledge until it's been reproduced in some way. So if we talk about self-education, then it seems like maybe we say read less and reproduce more. I mean, and I think that can take a variety of forms, narration, like oral narration being probably the most basic. I think there would be value in in slowing down and reproducing. I have trouble with that. I just, you know, I just want to keep going Mm -hmm. to the next book. I feel this like desperation to finish the unattainable reading list before I die. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if we would be better served. Brandy has her four categories of books that she does. And I wonder if we had like our own canon, you know, whatever that might be, like maybe the Bible and uh, four or three other books. And basically, it would be the fourth category. And we would just read that category over and over and over again. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, pick your three books, pick your four books, pick your five books, whatever it's going to be. And, you know, that's your fourth category. You have to read those over and over and over again. Huh. What what could we learn from those books? That's interesting because Charlotte Mason did that with um, the Waverly novels. Yeah, the Waverly. That's like right. she read them she, for like 30 years. She read them yeah. oh, wow. just like one after another, which there's a lot of those. But I mean, she and when she got to the end, she would just start back at the first one. Yeah, I think also falling into this category is um, having four or five books called One of the reasons I read so many books over the course of a year is that I read a little bit in a lot of different books. So I'm never just reading. Usually when I get into a novel, I'll probably get about halfway through and then I just speed through the end because I'm really into it. But most books, I'm just reading a little bit each day out of a variety of books here and there. Maybe I'm not in the mood for this book today, so I I just read this book. I'm not getting anywhere in this book, so I just pick up the other book, one of the other books. And in that way, I'm keeping it short, so I'm not getting massive thoughts, you know, piling up on each other. And also, in the end, I'm actually reading more books. So I don't know if that's a good way to look at it or not. Well, that's definitely what I do. I start books (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Um, And I do eventually get around to reading a lot of them, but I mean, some of them take me years. I mean, I I literally have a book that I've been reading for, I want to say eight years. (laughs) (laughs) Is it, is it norms and nobility? Is that what Um, it is? Is it norms? (laughs) No, no. Well, Well, and this is the thing. I don't mean that like I've continually read it. I mean, I just read a few pages of it every year. (laughs) Yeah, you just, you have. I call that plotting. I call that plotting. There's something really successful about that. It doesn't matter that it's going to take you 10 or 15 years to read that book. You're plotting your way through it. And you're you're not going to give up and put it back on the shelf. (laughs) You're going to keep it available. Maybe it's good to circle back around and say that homeschooling teaches us that this is our second chance at education. I mean, you know what? We have a benefit over our kids, guys, because we get to have an adult brain for the entire process. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's a sleep-deprived brain. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's still, like, fully wired. <laughs> <laughs> Are we saying that we don't want, we're not trying to add burdens to people, but we're trying to say how you can find this kind of self-learning in the midst of yeah. what you're already doing? Yeah, 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 I think so. I used to feel like every single break in the homeschool day break, quote unquote, was a chance for me to like run, do a chore, run, switch my laundry, yeah. run, scrub a dish or whatever. And it's not that there's not a place for that, because I think when you have babies and toddlers, sometimes that's your only time to do those chores. I mean, that's kind of like, but I realized, you know, I got into a habit of doing that. And then I realized I didn't really need to do that anymore. And so for me, like when I stopped and I sat down and I 
did Latin with my kids or did whatever it was with my kids. Mm. Oh, it was huge. And you know what? I would never sit down and do so many of those things on my own. I mean, I might now, now that I've been doing them with my kids, but it opened a whole world to me. You know, I thought I'm sitting there with them and, you know, it'll be better for them. And and it turned out it was just better for me. Right, right. I'm finding that now with mine, you know, with my first two, I sat down and did Latin and said, well, so maybe I'll learn it along with them. They need me there. We'll do this. And we kind of did a little bit. And now I'm starting with my next two set. And I sat down and did Latin with them you know, several years later, but the same Latin program at the same very beginning level. And I'm like, I get to do this again. Now this time I have another, I have mm-hmm. another chance at this and I can only go at their pace. Yeah, We have to repeat the same things over and over. And so maybe this time I'll get it a little bit more. And I have another student mm-hmm. coming after them. So little bit by little bit, you know, it'll all add up. Yeah. And instead of I think when I started off, I looked down that tunnel and said, I'm going to be doing this forever. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be doing this forever. (laughs) Maybe there will be some different tone of voice. Maybe there will be someone else who will want to do Latin after mine are gone. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I popped into a webinar that Sarah was doing on a a read aloud revival and she was talking. I just happened to pop in at the right time. And she said, you know, we have to look at gaps is a gift that we give our kids. This is an opportunity that now they have to learn later in life. And so if we start looking Mm. at our gaps as opportunities, as a gift that we have that we now get to fill, it totally changes our perspective on them. Mm. So I get to do this. I get to learn. Or maybe it's that, you know, we all have, we all do have gaps, just we Mm -hmm. do. So even knowing that, that they're there, that level of self-awareness is the first step. And yet, how many years did we go not realizing the things we didn't know? So it's a gift even to become aware of where we lack. Because I think that place of lack, that's the place we drive our learning from, right? This knowledge that I don't know this thing. I don't have this figured out. I guess it's a form of humility, but that self-awareness of there's something out there that I don't understand yet that's what drives us to read the next book, do the next thing. And that should be a freedom. It should not be a burden that makes us feel badly about ourselves. This is not, we're all there. We're all ignorant of many things. And when we come up against something and we find out, I don't know, that should be a moment of excitement and Mm. joy because now we know what to know. Now we know what to, you know, what we can fill in or what we need to to find more out about. And so we should use it as a really should be something that we think of as freedom and not, you know, feel badly about ourselves. That's over. a good point. Cause you know, I think about that with my kids, like, you know, when my daughter says, you know, I don't know about Hawks. I keep talking about these Hawking books I've bought, but like, <laughs> I don't know about Falcons and Hawks. And so we, you know, we buy these books on owning a Falcon and training a Hawk and all this stuff. And as a child, She's not, oh, no, I don't know about the, you know what I mean, and beating herself up. And and yet we moms are tempted to do that. I don't know this. I'm a horrible person or whatever. You know, she just gets a list of books and starts reading and it's all really exciting. And it, it could be for us if we have that perspective of a child of just now's the time. Yeah, you think about that, a baby, everything they learn is exciting because they don't know anything and, and they don't feel guilt that they don't know how to walk or they don't know how to... <laughs> They they feel joy in, in learning the new things because everything is new. And, and even at whatever age we are, there's still vast regions of newness and, and un, the unknowns out there and their mysteries. And what mm-hmm. I love having discovered is that even though when I started out, I didn't have that desire necessarily or that joy in wanting to know all the things. I still wanted to keep... I had closed doors and I wanted to keep them closed while making my children open them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After six, seven, I mean, my oldest will be going into 10th grade now. Those doors have opened. It takes time and that's okay. Like it doesn't have to be a, I have to flip the switch now. It is just, just starting mm-hmm. and just taking that first step and just, 
paying attention to those books that we're reading aloud to the kids. And I think that when we're engaged in this kind of living education, we do get caught up in it. It's not something that we necessarily have to start off bringing to the table. It develops in ourselves as well. Yes, definitely. Hmm. I think that might be a good place to wrap up, actually. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will wrap this up and just encourage everyone to come and join us at the retreat in September. What is it? September 15. Yeah. 15th. So yeah. It's online. You don't have to go anywhere. But if you want to do your own local retreat, you have an opportunity for that too, which we'll talk about in the outro. So anyway, thanks, guys. Thank you. Yes, it was a lot thank of fun. you, Cindy. Yeah. Thanks. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the sisterhood of the podcast. Registration is now open for Learning Well, the Scalay Sisters online retreat coming up on Saturday, September 15th. To register, go to scalaysisters.com slash learn. We highly recommend your local group take advantage of this opportunity to put together a retreat. We have done most of the work for you. We provide a recommended schedule based upon your time zone, the speakers, discussion questions, and more. If you want help planning an event like this, hop on over to scalaysisters.com slash local to get more information. This is the last episode in our special two-episode bonus summer season. We'll be back with our fall season beginning in September. Until then, we want to remind you once again that homeschooling is a marathon you needn't run alone. So open up your eyes and look around you. Find your sisters. I don't know why people say we laugh too much on this. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> I've been school planning, so I can't even really close my tabs because. That oh no! Scary. You know, we might like skip grammar for a year because I closed the yeah. tabs. <laughs> I hate that feeling when someone says something and you think, "God, oh, we used to do that. Why did we stop? I have no idea what happened to that." Yeah, turns I out my tab I just one day. The tab. <laughs> well, you're going to have to step up your game because there can only be one slacker on this podcast, and okay. I feel that role. <laughs>